0: of God, in the place where love is, where God is, amen? If you believe it again, say house of prayer. Today we're going to learn why it's so important to come here, why we come to church, what we are supposed to do when we're here. What you just saw was a demonstration of that. We're not just a church that talks about it. We're a church that actually does it. If you're in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, somebody say, I'm there. Amen. Amen. You're going to hear a story about Jesus going to the temple in Jerusalem. When Jesus walked the earth, the people that were serving God were called the Jews. The Jews served God in the way that God had taught Abraham, the way that He taught Isaac, Jacob, the way that He had taught Moses, The Jews followed after the Ten Commandments. And one of the things that God told Moses to do was to build a tabernacle. That tabernacle would be what we call a church today. Eventually, that tabernacle that Moses built in the wilderness became a full-standing brick-on-brick temple in the city of Jerusalem. Everybody say a a temple. That temple was built by King Solomon. The temple then was named after him, Solomon's Temple. It was made out of gold. Uh, It was gold-plated. There was silver. It was a wonderful place. Diamonds, uh, expensive jewels were everywhere. gives us a taste of heaven. But that place was ransacked, and uh, the property was stolen when Babylon invaded Israel. When God took Israel out of captivity, out of Babylon, brought them back to Israel, they built another temple. This temple is is the temple that Jesus is about ready to walk into. When Jesus was alive, there was a king named Herod, and he actually added to this temple. And so in the time of Jesus' day, because Herod had built a few more extra things, it was called Herod's Temple. Are you all with me? Now at this place, the temple, the Jews were commanded to worship God. There would be priests, people who worked in the ministry full time, and their job was to make sacrifices unto God, to kill animals, to spread the blood and bring sacrifice to God, saying, God, we're sorry for our sins. Here's the life of an animal. Forgive us. And these things were commanded. The people were also commanded to give their tithes, their offerings. They were taught the word of God there. You're going to see what this place was like when Jesus came to town. If you don't know the story, buckle up, because this is not Jesus like Barney type Jesus thing going on here. This this is going to be Jesus, Jesus like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Terminator type stuff right here. This is not the easy breezy, just laid back Jesus you might be thinking of for Christmas, okay? This is not the Jesus that lays in a little swaddling cloth... his face this is not that jesus the jesus that you're about ready to see is a grown man brought up as a carpenter which means he worked with his hands and he's about ready to do some damage turn with me look now mark 11:12. the next day as they were leaving bethany oh come on somebody that's a good name the next day as they were leaving bethany jesus was hungry Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find if it had any fruit. When he reached out, he found nothing but leaves. Everybody say, nothing but leaves. nothing but leaves. Because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And this his disciples heard him say. On reaching Jerusalem, he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Verse 17. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for the nations? What did he say his house would be called? Say it one more time, a house of prayer. He said it would be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Thank you, my brother. The chief priests and the leaders of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared Him, because the whole crowd was amazed at His teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. Here comes Jesus to this temple, this place where people are supposed to be serving God, this place where there's supposed to be good things. This is the temple of God. Here is Jesus, and He's from God. He's the Son of God. He's supposed to be happy. But He sees it, and He tears it up. I mean, I wonder what it would sound like to see a, a table overthrown. Would it sound... Like that. What would it sound like to see somebody start kicking stuff around? You know? To start taking chairs, overthrowing them. Just, come on, just... What would you do if you came to church and and not the visitor? Not some crazy person. But the pastor starts throwing the stuff around. Saying, what is this? Has that got your attention? What do you think? Come on. We read these stories and we don't connect. We read these stories, we have no connection. We have no understanding. Jesus wasn't just walking around going, Oh, come on guys, you can do better. He says, I'm sick of this place. He throws over tables. He makes a cord of whips, the Bible says in another place. And he starts whipping people. He took the whip that was used to herd animals and he starts whipping the people. Get out of here local. He was crazy, man. And he walks into the church and he says, what you guys call church, I call a den of thieves. I'm going to say that again. He says, what you call church, I call the den of thieves. The church of America today is no different than that church. We're supposed to be loving God. We're supposed to be giving to the poor. We're supposed to be taking care of widows and orphans. We're supposed to be on the streets. But we've become some multi mega organization with double wards and all of these things that make Christianity a selling product. You can go to Walmart and buy the, the best Christian author 999 book on the book rack. Ten ways to have a better life now. We we have Christian entertainers that can work with non-Christian entertainers on albums and make happy Christmas songs and get ready for them because you'll see them come out, you know. You'll see these different artists working together. We live in a time when, when pastors look more like businessmen, more like motiv- motivational speakers, and they look, do look like prophets of the Bible, You see, when Jesus came to town, Jesus said, your church is a den of robbers and thieves, but never here in Jesus' name. I don't care what I have to do. We will not let that happen here. I don't want to become prideful. I don't want to think I'm better than anybody else. But I want to say to Jesus, Jesus, if we show up on this day called Sunday, if we're actually going to sing songs and make music, if we're going to go out and help people, Lord, we're going to at least do it the right way. We want to do it the way that blesses You and pleases You. I want to be a church that changes the world. This church is called to be exactly what Jesus said it's called to be, a house of prayer. And I'm not talking about prayers like you just wish things to change. Just wishing to change is not a prayer. God is looking for people that pray God-inspired prayers that are found in this Bible that will be answered. So many times we say, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Those type of prayers generally don't get answered. God's not into just bless me prayers. God's into prayers, bless others, bless others, use me to help others. God is into us touching a world. The church of that day was tore upside down. Why? Because they made it a place of money, a place of thieves. What were they doing? Well, to go to the temple, you had to buy animals to sacrifice. And so what these priests began to do was think to themselves, Hey, you know, Gary's coming to the temple. He needs to sacrifice something. Hey, why don't I just charge him $20 right here at the temple, and then, hey, he can buy the little lamb, and then he'll go slaughter it. Then they were called money changers because, you know, you're living in Jerusalem, but somebody may be coming from Africa to the temple. They're going to need to take their money from African money to Jerusalem money. Hey, we're going to start up a little currency exchange here. And the Bible forbid all of that. You were supposed to give to the poor. If someone couldn't afford a lamb, you give it to them. If you didn't have a lamb, you bring it yourself. You don't pay for it at the temple. And then you don't exchange money. And if someone needed help, you they were a fellow citizen, you were to do it without interest. And yet these priests and these pastors, these leaders, started pimping the people. And when Jesus came to town, He said, this is not what it was meant to be. I mean, come on, let's think about it for a minute. Out of all the church services you've been to, how many have been devoted to prayer? For the nations. Let's put another little adjective on there. Not even just prayer, but prayer for the nations. Saying, God, we want nations to be saved. God, we want you to change cities. We want you to change our lives. From here all the way to Mexico, to India, to Mozambique, change lives. How many of the services devoted to that? The rest of our services, most of our services, what are they devoted to? Our needs, the things we want. Do you know that we are the most selfish, self-centered generation that has ever walked this planet? I mean, you can do so much for yourself right now. I mean, you can buffer yourself at a day spa. You can go and dress yourself nice. You can buy the nicest clothes. People have credit card debt. And let me just help everybody here for Christmas. Let me help some, some people out here. You don't owe anybody anything for Christmas except to love them, okay? So between you and I, we don't have to gift exchanges. Hug me and love me and that's it. Amen? Parents, if you want to give a gift to your children this year, let me tell you how to do it for free right now. But it will be worth fifteen to $20,000 right here. Free right now. I can tell you how to give them a $15,000 blessing right now. You want to know how you do it? You just take a little piece of paper like this, fold it up and just say here, you know, Merry Christmas. I love you. You're very special. On the inside of it, you say, your rent and food will be paid for the rest of the year. (laughs) Merry Christmas. There it is. God bless you. Thanks, Mom. I get to eat. Thanks, Dad. I have clothes. Amen. You can thank your pastor for that later. Amen. We find our church is full of greed because we're full of greed. We think about ourselves all the time. What are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? And you know what the church became of that day? A place to appease the people. You know, giving what the people want. You know, if the people want this, we're going to do what the people want. Pastors are not here to do that, my friends. I'm not here to sit down and take a survey and go, Hmm, let me see, guys. How long would you like me to preach? What would you like me to preach about? Would you like us to have short services or long services? No, the pastors and the leaders are here to lead we're actually to have such lives that you want to say we'll follow you we'll live like christ in you you have a great thing going we want to be like that not the not the pastors and the priests being like the people not saying oh i want to be like you i'm not here to get along with this society you're not here to get along with the mtv oprah winfrey generation you're not here to try to fit in you're to stand out somebody say house of prayer I want you to see where that prophecy came from in the Old Testament because Jesus is quoting the Bible. Go with me now to Isaiah 56. Come on, if you love Jesus, say, I'm ready. It's time to be a house of prayer. It's time for us to touch this world with the things that Jesus told us to do. And it starts with prayer. And, And, you know, so many times we think of prayer. I know I said it's not wishing, but other times we think of it like it's just this quiet, solemn, you know, like, I'm praying now. Mm, I'm going to pray. Praying is passion with God. It's a relationship. Prayer is you pleading with the Father, Lord, have mercy. I remember hearing a man uh, say that we should pray for dying people as if they were dying now, or lost people. We should pray for lost people as though they were dying now on the brink of hell. How would you pray right now if I handed you the microphone and your mother, your most loved one, was standing on the edge of hell? How much would you pray right now? Tears would start coming down your eyes. You would say, oh, Father, don't let them go. Give them another day. Spare them, oh, God. Open their eyes. Tears would be coming down your eyes. You would be pleading with God. God, save my mother. Save my father. I remember the last time I, one of the last times I saw my grandmother, I was I was visiting from New Orleans in Chicago, and Chicago, and I hadn't been up here for a while, and my grandma's originally from here, and I, I said to my friends, bring me to my grandmother's house. You know, I'm a pastor in Chicago, I haven't seen her for a while. Last time she saw me, I was on drugs, and I was like, take me to my grandma's house. And, and I wanted to share with her the gospel, I wanted to preach to her. But when I walked in the door, I couldn't even say anything. I fell right to my knees, and tears were just coming down my face. And I was saying, Grandma, you got to accept Jesus. And she was like patting me, and she was like, the only one that calls me Joey. She's like, it's okay, Joey. I I, I go to church. you went to her Catholic church. I'm okay. And, and you know, I was broken for her because I knew that her life was ending, and she was going to face eternity. She never prayed with me, but they say she prayed with my aunt. But what would you do if you saw your friends and family on their way to hell? How would you pray? And now, my friends, get the revelation, get the mental picture. That's where our friends and family are going if they're not saved. They're on the brink of hell. I know so many times we come to a church like this, we talk about it, and we talk about it. And sometimes we get so numb. You know, there's a heaven, there's a hell. Sure, I've heard it before. We'll go to Thanksgiving dinner, we'll smile with our family, and we get so comfortable. You know, it's like, okay, I know they're not right, but, you know, they're still my friend and family. We should always be broken for them. I'm not saying you can't hang out and like enjoy turkey dinners with them. I'm saying, but when you come to church, you ought to be burdened for them. I haven't stopped praying for my family in 13 years. Some of them are still lost. Don't stop praying for them. And then now you can begin to pray for the nations. If you're a Christian, you can pray for this nation, America. Maybe some of you haven't studied American history, but let me tell you something. We didn't always kill our babies in this country. We didn't always uh, have debates over homosexuality. We didn't always take prayer out of school. This nation is on the downward slope of a moral decay. We need Jesus. Somebody say a house of prayer. Look at the prophecy. This is where it's found. Isaiah chapter 56. Look what he says in verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice do what is right for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will be soon revealed blessed is the man who does this who does what amen the blessed is the man who does what's right and maintains justice and the man who holds fast who keeps the sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil so we got to live right keep god's commands Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. Amen. Help the eunuchs, Lord. Verse 4. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my coming. He's saying, this is what I say to the people who follow me, who love me. To them I will give my temple and its walls. He'll give them the church. Here it is. A memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. So a eunuch is somebody that can't have children. And he's even saying, hey, if the eunuch serves me, I'll give him a church and children as their inheritance, which is better than just a family. He said, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, who worship him, and all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and hold fast to my covenant. He said, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and give them joy in the house of Prayer. He will give them joy in the what? House of prayer. The Bible goes on to say that I will accept their burnt offerings on the altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them. Besides those already gathered, everyone look up here, please. Jesus is talking in the New Testament that the church should be called a house of prayer. Where did He get that term from? He got it from Isaiah. In the time of Isaiah, Jewish people who lived in Israel were beginning prideful. They were saying, oh, you know what? If you're not a Jew, if you don't live in Jerusalem, you can't come to our church. And God is saying, no, I'll let everybody come. I'll let the eunuchs come. I'll let the foreigners come. He said, because my house is for everyone, a house of prayer. And when Jesus came that day, he didn't see the nations coming to pray. He didn't see the nations coming to find a closer walk with God. He saw the nations practicing in religion and the priests lying to them and discouraging them with all of their heresy and all of their demonic influence. And my friends, look at what's happening today. Do you know that the average Christian spends more on dog food and pet food than they do on foreign missions? I want you to think about that. Your pastor collects the offerings every month. We put it towards our missionary offerings. That means between us, there's usually about $300 that comes towards our missionary. If you are a pet owner, many of you spend $50, $60 a month. And there's more pet owners here. You understand what I'm talking about? Pet owners spend more taking care of their pets than they do for the foreign mission field. What's happened to our churches? While the people in the church say, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I have a new car, I have a new job, they keep forgetting that the nation around them is poor and hurting. The people have nothing. I mean, we're talking right now to our sister in Mexico. She doesn't have Bibles. What will we do if a church can't give another church Bibles? And you're telling me, come on, let's be honest now. Are you telling me we're the only ones? You're telling me God is only speaking to Metro praise? Of course He's not. God is saying to every church in the cor- on the corners of every church in the city right now, He's saying help the poor, help the nations, make a difference. But only a few are responding. It's like right now, if we were to name the good churches, and we're not here to call names and make people feel bad, but if we were just here to talk about what we know is good, you could barely count them on your hands. Where are the churches that want to make a difference? I remember one time a a family member asked one of our leaders, about our missionary because they knew that you know we meet here in, in a storefront and the missionary was talking uh, the leader was saying our missionary is coming to town and our our missionary and we're going to give to our missionary and the person asked them how can your church afford to give to a missionary almost like with a slant of of, of distrust like almost like we would steal to give to a missionary God help people in this country. You know how this church gives to missions? Because we give sacrificially. Because we take of what little we have and we plant it in the seed of lost souls and we say, God, prosper it. I'm not accountable for what other people do. I'm accountable for what I do. And as for me and my house, we're a house of prayer for the nations and we want souls to be saved. And I'd rather give money to souls than to McDonald's. Hello, that's how we do it. Go ask your pastor how they don't do it. Why don't you ask them those questions? We are the ones that are going out there and making a difference, and others are with us. And I'm not saying we're the only ones, but I'm saying it sure feels like we're the minority. What has happened to our churches? What what has happened to the idea of community? We, we talk about all the things we can do. And, and I've done it with other churches and pastors before. And all these committees and all of these meetings and talking to the aldermen. I don't want to talk to the alderman. I don't want to ask him for ten shekels in a shirt. I don't want to beg him from a little, little dollar here, a little free garbage can here. I want to show the aldermen that the church of Jesus Christ lacks nothing because we're a house of givers and a house of prayer for the nations. Let Him come to ask us for help. Praise God that there are Christian organizations that give grants and those things. God bless them. But I'm telling you, in this house right here, as my dad came and preached on tithes and offerings, in this house alone, there is $12,700 a month here. And ask yourself, why do we only receive 8,000 of that on average? Where's the other 4,000? Well, I'll tell you what, we'll follow each other home today. And we'll find out where the other 4,000 is. It's in big screen TVs. It's in our fancy cars and vacations. It's in our internet and all of these things we get our children when we should be giving our tithe and offering to God first. We're not a poor church. The church has never been poor. God has always blessed His people. And what we do with it now is up to us. And as I said before and I say it again, this church will give and give and give and give and give. We will give to this community till it comes out of their ears. We will give to the nations till somebody can say there's a church full of people who actually love God and love the nations. I'm so happy today that you've come so we can hear this message together so we can be driven by it and do it. I remember when I first got saved, I went to a rather large church. And I asked them, I said, can we feed the poor? I'd only been saved a few months, so I just got delivered from smoking cigarettes and cussing and all that. And I man, I want to feed the poor. I went up to them, I said, can we do this? They said, sure. I said, will you help me feed the poor? They said, no. They just said I could do it. What is wrong with people? How do you come to a church that... I'm not talking about a church that's doing other things and maybe they can't do it all. A church that did nothing for the poor. Nothing for the poor. And I said, can you help us feed the poor? No, no, but you can do it. You can have a little room. little room in the back corner on Saturdays and you can pray. And the pastor's son began to come. And he began to get so touched by the Holy Ghost, we would run around that place and jump and shout and holler. God began to move and we would all put our money together. I was working as a pizza delivery boy and I had like $20 and I found a place that would accept money and I could buy food by the pound, a second harvester's food bank and $20 for 10 cents a pound I think would buy me what, $200, 200 pounds, something like that. All the mathematicians trying to figure out, everybody else is staring blank at me right now and we would take our money and we would go out there. And it was so funny because the first time I went out to go feed the poor, I went and knocked on people's homes that weren't poor because I lived out in the suburbs. So when I went into the city, I thought people were poor. And I'm like knocking on like teachers' doors. And they're like, no, I'm fine. I have everything. They're like, that's the poor area. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I found the poor area. And we began to feed the people. We began to give to them. Some of my first sermons were preached in that place. And I would preach just like I'm preaching now. I would have a little hanky. They would have no air conditioning, and we would just be preaching our guts out. What happened to that heart in the church? Why, why don't we see that more often? Why is it when we stand on a corner like we did last night on Milwaukee and North and Wicker Park, people curse us out? I haven't done nothing to them. I haven't said anything wrong to them. All I'm saying to them is, can I talk to you about Jesus. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is awesome. But why don't they want to talk about Jesus? You know why they don't want to talk about Jesus? It's because of the plurality of churches that they've been to. That gossip and steal and lie. And it's a house of robbers. And if I get a chance to talk to them, I say with them, I hate those type of churches too. Jesus Christ is into soul winning churches. Churches that help the poor pray for the nations. You can't pray for a nation without wanting to help a nation. We were, I got another scripture. Go ahead and turn there with me to Jeremiah 7. And as you're turning there, I want you to listen to this testimony. We were out doing ministry one day and somebody walked up to us and they wanted to know what type of church we were. And I told them, I said, we're a church that loves God and we're a church that really loves people. And I remember it was a lesbian woman. And she said, I want to see a church like that. I haven't even found one in Chicago. And like I said, we're not the only one, but she had not found one yet. And when that woman came to the church, she said, this is the only one I know. And when her father passed away, she called us to do the funeral. A lesbian. Do you know why a lesbian would ask us to do that? Even though we're not in favor of homosexuality, because we pray for them. People can see a difference in us. I was standing right here on this corner, and my wife and I, some of you have heard the story, we're witnessing by the cell phone store, a guy came out, tatted all over his neck and on his face, he was a gangbanger. And we started to witness to him, he was drunk and high, but he had time to talk, and his friends didn't want anything to do with it. And we said, man, we love you, we are here for you, and he took the information, the next day he called me, his friend had got his head blown off, and he wanted me to come to the funeral. He said, you are the only pastor I know, the only one, come to this funeral. We show up at the funeral. A fight breaks out. The gringos hit the door. (laughs) Me and Nancy were the first ones out. I was crazy. I don't know how many gangbanger funerals you've been to. That was my first. That was crazy. They were fighting in the funeral hall, the one on Cicero. You know what I'm talking about. Where's the church? Where are we? Do you know why we're there, this church? Because we pray for them. Do you know why when we walk into Ohio Park, we don't get harassed by people thinking we're coming to sell drugs? People don't disrespect us in that way. you know why? Because they know something's different about us. There's a difference. We're not the Jehovah Witnesses just knocking on their door. We've been on our prayers for them. And people can tell the difference. Do you want this to be a house of prayer or do you want it to be a den of thieves? Look at Jeremiah chapter 7. If you're there, say I'm there. Let's just start in verse 9. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 9. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, We are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. Do you know that the Lord is watching our churches? He's watching you. Look at what He says. He says, do you think you can live an ungodly life and come to this church and think you're safe? the people of israel they were worshiping other gods like how people worship nfl and the bears and boyfriends and girlfriends they were worshiping other things putting other things before god their music their friends their family their job and they would come to church and they would say quote unquote we are safe nothing can happen to us the modern day version of that would be i believe in jesus i love god we're safe Look what Jesus says. You've made this a den of robbers, and I've been watching you. What does Jesus say about our churches today? What does Jesus say about Metro Praise? What does He say about your life? He is watching you. And let me give you a little idea about this. He doesn't think like you. When we see compromise, you notice how we're always harder on others than we are on ourselves. You know, we see somebody have a bad day, we're like, geez, you know, like we're at the grocery store, the woman doesn't say hi to us, they have a bad day. We're like, geez, look at them, they're such a terrible person. But then when we're working our job and we have a bad day, we're like, come on, give me a break. Don't you understand I'm having a bad day? It's like we want everybody to understand our compromise, our issues, but we give no understanding. Listen to me, we can justify in our hearts, well, hey, I'm okay. I come to church, I I, I pray every now and then, I give every now and then, I'm alright, I'm fine, and God says, no, 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 I'm watching you, and I look at your life differently than the way you do. He sees through the motives. He knows why people here don't pray like they ought to. He knows why people here don't care for the nations. He knows what you came here for, if it was really for Him, or to be religious. He says, I'm watching you. He watches the pastor. Don't you think I get off easy? The Bible actually says it's worse for me. He knows why I preach. Do I preach to get a crowd? Am I trying to be another American idol up here? Have a church all about me, 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 me? Or am I preaching with a heart for God, serving the people? I will be judged by those things one day. He's been watching me. And He's been watching you. Look with, the, with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Hang on just a little bit. It's going to get good, but i got to provoke you. i got to poke you. i got to get you up out of your comfort zone so that we can pray and become a house of prayer. You're going to get to the action in just a minute, but i got to tell you why we are where we are. I'm giving you all Old Testament prophecies. This is everything Jesus meant when He was saying, you are a den of robbers and thieves. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. I'm giving you all the Old Testament references. Ezekiel 34, if you're there, say, I'm there. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Another word for shepherd is pastor. Prophesy against the pastors of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the pastors of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, close yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have strengthened the, you have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. They didn't care about anybody else but themselves. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And they were scattered and there was no food. And they became food rather for the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains on every hill. They were scattered over the whole earth. And no one searched or looked for them. Starting with me, the pastor. Why am I out on the streets every week of my life for 13 years? If not more, at least always once or twice a week. Why? Because I'm searching for the lost. You can find pastors in churches People in churches that don't even care. I remember talking to a pastor one time about his outreach. And he said to me, I'll let them come to my church. I don't go to them. I remember talking to another pastor. I used to do that. He said, I used to do that. I'm Mr. Pastor Big Bridges now. I don't do that. I remember one time I was talking to a brother that went to an evangelism class in his church. Evangelism class. He showed up. They never went evangelizing. Towards the end of the class, he said to him, Teacher, brother, we're learning to evangelize. Let us go. Here are some areas in our city where we need to go. The pastor said, I'm not comfortable in those areas. God, help us. God, help us. I have been preaching, just talk about Chicago now. I have been preaching in this nation, on these streets, for over three and a half years, 44 months, 45 months. And I can count to you on these two hands, these two hands, the other gospel preachers that I've met. I've gone out 52 weeks in the year, 52 times 3. I've gone out over 100 weeks and 100 times, over a 100 times, I have met less than 10 other people preaching the gospel. And it's not like I'm going around into corners. It's not like I'm hiding in a back alley. We're going to major intersection, major places, walking up and down neighborhoods, never. But I've met Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons almost every time I go out, especially in the day. Why is it the church of Jesus Christ lets cults do the job better than what we do? When Jesus came to the temple, don't get tired on me now. I need somebody to believe this. Why is it when Jesus went to the temple, He cast them out? He did it because the shepherds lost their hearts for the people of God. I am telling you today, it starts with me, then it goes to you. Are you willing to do this and find the lost sheep and become a house of prayer for the nations? If you believe it, say amen. So now let's talk about the practicals. When you come to church, what is this place called? House of Prayer. Join us at 9:15 for prayer then if you believe that. Every service whether you come to crossover, elevate, Sunday morning, Latino, every service starts with prayer. Come to if you come to any of the services, come to the prayer meetings. Come to the prayer meetings. I'm going to say that again. Come to the prayer meetings. You walk in here at nine fifteen and say, God, I'm here, I'm here to pray. This is when my service starts. I'm here to pray. Number two, when the service starts and we say, This is a service. This service is all based around prayer. The whole thing. We're not going to stop worshiping until God says it's time to stop worshiping. We're not going to preach until God says it's to preach. When we get done preaching, we're going to preach, uh, we're going to pray that what was preached can be applied to people's lives. This will become a house of prayer. I remember one time a visitor came and, and I guess after two hours passed and I was still on the floor and the band was on the floor and we were facing in different directions, a visitor said, hey, you know, I was about ready to leave. I, I didn't know, you know, what you were doing up there. Isn't that something that people can come to churches and not know what the pastor is doing up here? What did he think a church was? What did he think it was? Did he, did he think it was? Uh, you know, the pastor is like Jimmy the cricket with a little top hat. He comes out and performs. I mean, come on, people, sometimes you just see the church and now here's the choir for your perform for your benefit. they're going to perform. They're going to sing the song. It's all about you. We do this for you Clap your hands, you feel better We sing for you Then the pastor comes up Hey, here I am Here I am to preach a message for you It's all about to you well, As we said before, everybody's welcome except the Holy Ghost Prayer is talking to God That's like going to the restaurant and not buying any food Not eating We came here to actually talk to Him you know, I could go to the restaurant, sit down and say, man, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Are you hungry? You're hungry. Yeah, we're all hungry and not eating anything. That's kind of retarded. What do we come there for? We came there to eat, man. Give me the food. Let's see. Put that of los con on the table, man. Bring out the acapulla. I got the, I got the, I, I'm going to eat this. Got the appetite for this right now. Hola. Tada chada. I am playing. Come to church, do everything but talk to God. What has happened to us? It's not how pretty the, pretty the menu looks. It's not how nice the music is in the background. It's how good the food is that you go back to a restaurant. It's not how well our choir sings, how beautiful our pictures are, how well-dressed the pastor is. It's about did we meet with God today? Did we pray not only for ourselves, but for the nations of the world? Did we lay our hearts at God's altar and say, here I am, use me, Lord. Turn with me now to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. We need to make this a house of prayer. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna, I'm gonna save you these last two scriptures. Cause I think you've heard the rebuke to the church. Amen? Because I got another two just putting it down on the church where we need to be. But I think you all got it. If you gotta say amen. Let's get to the good part. Turn with me then rather to Psalms chapter 2 verse 8. Turn with me to Psalms, chapter 2, verse 8. Make us a house of prayer. My wife and I, at every meal, we try to remember the church in prayer. We pray for you. God, bless our church. Bless the families in our church. That's what we pray. Almost every meal, when we sit down, we pray that night, Lord, thank you for this meal. Bless this fellowship. And, Lord, bless our church. Bless the families. Now, I need to add to that prayer, Lord, bless the nations. Help us to remember this. God, I mean, we're here to pray. We're here to touch God. Look at Psalms chapter 2. This is a wonderful promise. All missionaries love this promise, and I hope you love it as well. Psalms 2, verse 8, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. There it is. Yeah, it's not as popular as give and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. You don't hear that much. This scripture has much in churches. You don't hear this one as much as, you know, you can sin and be forgiven. That scripture that everybody loves to remind me of, the grace scripture. You don't, you don't hear this as much. You don't hear this as much as I can do, you know, the person who's wanting the parking space at Walmart for Christmas shopping. And Jesus, give me the parking space. And they show up and they go, Oh, hallelujah. I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I got my parking space. Here I am. (laughs) Woo. You don't, you don't hear this one that much. You don't, you know, you don't hear, uh, you know, people putting the young people on their My Spaces, you know. The ones that they want to put on their MySpace you know, love is patient, love is kind, heart, you know. There it is. I love Jesus. I heart Jesus. You, you don't hear very much of I want the nations because I don't think we really believe it because the pastors haven't shown it. The leaders haven't shown it. This week, we've seen two churches from the nations join with us. Two. Two churches. We've been up here waving flags. We have flags from any nation you want us to pray for. Put your flag up here, we'll wave it. We're waving flags from Ireland. We're waving flags from Costa Rica. We're just praying for every nation possible. One of our missionaries that we support in Brazil, one of my personal friends from Bible, uh, from, she went to Bible college and came and worked with me. She sent us Brazil flag and I said, man, we're gonna be waving it tomorrow. For three and a half years, we've started this church saying we're going to plant 500 churches around the world. And we haven't seen anything. But yet we wave our flags. Yet we pray. And revival broke out, a fresh awakening of God. You guys remember the Mother's Day service? We can have a Mother's Day service of Jesus. You remember those times? Okay? And God said, I'll give you nations. A man named Pastor Amit from India saw our website two weeks ago. He's thirty one years old, has a wife and two kids, lives in a small town of India. Million people, small town. So one point two billion people in the country, so a million is a small town, a little village. He lives in this small town of a million people. And he's been looking for a strategy, a way to continue to plant churches. Because he has one in the village with 80 families. And the city that he lives in, he has five house churches with about a dozen to 20 people. The Bible college he has is not the same equivalent to what I have. It's it's not the same. He doesn't even have running water. has to walk two miles to the nearest computer. I sit at the computer and get all the information I need. He's looking at it in the cafe he's renting the computer time for. He's looking for a church. This is what he puts in. Tell me this is not God. A church that praises God. That's what he had in his heart and his mind. He puts in there, I want to find a church that praises God. In his English, you know, that's what he's thinking, church that praises God. Stumbles upon our website, Metro Praise. Nothing real fancy about it. No flash, no razzle-dazzle. Just a website, Right? He clicks on this thing that says Beliefs. And as he gets to the Beliefs page, he hears a vision. It's in writing. It's there. You can see it. We want to plant 500 churches around the world. And it strikes him in his heart. This church wants to plant other churches. I got six right now and I need some help. He emails me and says, hey, you want to plant 500 churches? I think we could do that just in India. Do you want to help me? This Tuesday, I was on the phone with him for three hours and he was crying. And he said, like Paul saw the vision of a Macedonian, and the Macedonian man said, come to Macedonia. He said, you heard my cry. He said, God has sent you into my life. This is what God is doing. Thank you for calling me. I said, brother, do you want to wait to become a Metro Praise until we fly out to India, meet you, shake your hands? He says, no, I've already started teaching it now. Can we be a Metro Praise now? I said, brother, go for it. He says, the elders and deacons, I want to use the whole thing. I want to do it exactly the same. He says, when you address the elders, do you call them governing elders? And I said, no, we don't do that. The brother was about ready to start saying, governing elder-ish, come to the front, please. I said, those are just titles. We don't call each other by titles. We have names. Those are our names. I said, brother, we want to send you a computer so that we can talk and see you because you have six churches. There's so much going on. We can do this webcast thing. He says, and, and you know, some people may be like, "How do you? How can you trust this guy? You know, is this the same as the ones from Ethiopia asking you to the cash their check? You know, you seen those emails? This is how I just know another a million and one reason I know it's from God is is we say, man, we're going to send you our our old computer. We're going to send you a computer. His rent in his house a month is seventy five dollars a month. Our computer is worth a year of his wages, a year of his of his uh, rent. So we're going to send this to you." The brother says to me, please don't send it until we pray for it. Tell me that's not just God saying we need to get more like them. He said, I want to pray. Our people want to pray that when it comes, it comes safely. That when it comes, we use it to God's glory. That we don't become prideful now that we have a computer. God help us. That we don't become prideful that we have a computer. Hello, somebody. God is bringing nations to us. We're going to them. Why? Because this is a house of prayer for the nations. What are you going to do when Metro Praise reaches 500 and we're 500 churches and we're only 10 years old and God says, hey, that was just part one. We got 10 more steps to go here, guys. I mean, we're thinking like 500. What if God's just like, come on, man, that's the introduction here. I mean, we got a lot more to do. We're just trying to get your faith going here. In Mozambique they have 5000 with Irish ministries 5000 Today there's organizations that have started that are around because they reached their generation it's our turn to do it it starts with the people here we pray for the nations would you stand with me please As you're standing open your bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2 Psalms 2 verse 8 says pray for the nations 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says that we're to pray for all people to be saved. That I want to give you just some practical things that we can do. And then, of course, we're going to pray for the nations. It was awesome that Nancy did that earlier. And this is something we're going to do again. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 2, if you're there, say I'm there. You then, my son. Oops, that was Second Timothy. Here we go. I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for who? everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and godly lives, a quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom in proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling you the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the gentiles if you believe it say amen he says i want men everywhere men do this lift up holy hands come on lift up hands in prayer without anger or disputing rachel would you come please okay here's the part where we play number one if you want to write these down you can but it's just pretty simple number one you have to pray He said, first of all, I urge you to pray for everyone to be saved. The Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the first part. It's not our daily bread, is it? You and I got to start caring about people. We have to pray for others. I don't know what you're going through today, but we've been praying for you. Listen to me. The way for you to get out of whatever problems you're facing is for you to pray to God and to start praying for others. It only takes a few seconds for you to lift up your needs. Lord, I need a new job. I trust you for it now. You don't have to intercede for five hours for your job. Intercession is not made for your job. That's not what it's made for. Bible says you only have to ask him one time with the heart of faith. So today, if you don't have what you need, you, you ask him, Lord, give me, I ask you give me my daily bread. You get your daily bread, you thank him. If it wasn't enough, tomorrow when you wake up and say, Lord, I'm asking you again. That's it. But you don't have to stay and have a five-hour prayer meeting with Jesus about your daily bread. Amen? Come on, people. We need to learn to trust God that He can answer those prayers. The prayers of intercession, the prayers of tears, the prayers of groaning, is when we say, God, save a nation. Because that's not just one person anymore. Hundreds, thousands, millions, billions. starts with you and I. Number one, we pray. Number two, we pray personally on our own time. Number two, when we come together, it's all about us praying. It's all about us worshiping God, being inspired by the messages so that we can be people of God. Prayer. What's one passion going to do? It's going to pray for young adults to change their lives. They can't change young adults' lives on their own. They're going to pray.